weird. How's everybody doing? Jordan's here. Hi, Jordan. Caleb's here. I know Caleb's here. It's like all of my kids are here. That's good. So my name's David Varela, and I uh, teach your kids. That's why you think I'm never here, but you always see my wife. So I've had a lot of people always come up to me and say, I never see you in church. Don't you come? I'm like, hey, I'm back there. So those of you who don't know me, I do also teach junior high on Wednesday night. And if you got any junior hires, that's the place to be. We do a lot of fun things, and we have a great time. Um, I just, uh, Pastor Tom asked me to speak today. Uh, he thought that because it was a family service, it'd be the right thing to do. Um, but I'm going to preface this talk with the same thing I tell the kids when they first come into my classroom, is there's going to be certain parts of this sermon that I don't want you to talk to your parents about, okay? So the same thing holds here. There's going to be some parts I'm going to get away from what the Bible says and kind of interpret in my loose way of, that kids can understand about things that are going on. So without, oh, actually, I was at uh, the fast strip down next to my house. I was getting gas for my truck. And you got to go inside because I buy a tremendous amount of gas. So I walked in, and there were, there were sirens going off and just loud noises, and there's a clerk behind the counter, and she looked all frazzled, and she's like, she yells at me. She says, are you on pump number one? And I'm like, uh, no, number six. She goes, well, if I ever find the guy who's on pump number one. Behind me, a young lady walks in. She, so she yells at her, are you on pump number one? And she's like, oh, no, no, I'm not. Then a third guy walks in, oil field worker. He walks in, real casual-like. He came in to, to get a drink and, and a couple of snacks, a couple of jerky sticks. And she yells at him, are you on pump number one? He goes, no, I didn't know there'd be a pop quiz when I came in here. So before we start, let's invite the Lord into our sermon. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time together. We thank you for children who, uh, and grandchildren who make our lives just, just wonderful and both frustrating at the same time. We thank you that uh, you've given me the message to give. Let it uh, go out to those who need to hear it. Give them a heart. Open their hearts today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. I have a friend that uh, my wife and I brought to the Lord, oh, man, over 20 years ago. Um, he was a little rough around the edges. He was in, he was in construction. <coughs> he, right now, he's working in Oman, which is when the Middle East. He works a night crew uh, consisting of himself. Uh, he talks over the, the helpers over there are from India or they're, Saudis. The, the, the men from India do all the work, and the Saudis just kind of lord it over them. That's just the way it is over there. So he works the night shift, 17 days on, 17 days off. We've been mentoring him ever since that time when he first came to the Lord. He calls me a lot, and we talk. We discuss things that are going on in his life, things that he's praying about, the things, things in his life that, that uh, he thinks that we should talk about. And, and I recognize that a lot of the times he's talking to me because he needs a voice to hear. He needs a familiar f voice, a friend, uh, who could just listen to him because he's out there in the middle of nowhere. It's, it, one time he was told me it was 11 o'clock at night and it was 110 degrees. That's at night. So he's talking to me, and, I, and I'm listening to him, and he feels better. I encourage him. We pray over him. Uh, and we get him going again for, uh, for another month or so, and then I get another phone call. 
It's wonderful to have a friend. I remember that because when I went to college, when I first went to college at 17, I went to UCLA, was in a dorm. I didn't know anybody. I had to go find these classes in a campus that's incredibly huge. I wasn't used to that. I didn't, the, the people in my dorm were all weird as far as I was concerned. And every once in a while, I would, I would pick up the phone and I would call home because I wanted to hear my father's voice and my mother's voice. I wanted to hear people that I, reassure me that I'm where I'm supposed to be, that everything's going to work out okay. So once I heard that voice, just picking up the phone and saying hello, that was it. That made my whole day. My heart jumped. It was great. And once again, I could go up back into classes and do the exams and the finals and run around campus and eat their food. And it was, it was a, I recognized the value of family at that point, whereas before maybe I wasn't so appreciative of that. So we go to the first passage in Matthew, um, chapter 17, verse 1. This is a, Matthew's account of the transfiguration of, of Jesus on the mountain. Um, at this point, to give you some perspective, in Jesus' life, this was pretty much at the end of his ascension as a person who was healing, who was teaching people, who was performing miracles. He had crowds of hundreds and thousands. This was at this point where he knew at this point, at this point in his life, at his age, on that date, that it would now go downhill to end up in his crucifixion. Now, Jesus knew this, and he needed to call home. So he did. He brought, he called home. He brought uh, his friends up there, too. He called James and John, brought them up there, and he called on his dad. And his dad, and all's dad came with a couple of friends, Elijah and Moses. So they were up there, and Jesus is getting encouragement. He's getting pumped up for those final days on, when he knew at that point that he would end up being having a horrible, horrible death. So he's getting pumped up here. So these are his friends. So these are some of his friends. And when I look at Moses and Elijah and, of course, God, or even James, they're very holy men. They're very righteous people. And I can never, in my mind, I could very difficult to ascribe to that, to that level. And these were Jesus' friends. I'm like, wow. Well, Jesus is supposed to be my friend too, but I'm nothing like that. So who else are Jesus' friends? Let's go to Matthew again. Let's go to chapter 9. Verse 9. This is going to be a remake of what Tom, Pastor Tom went over last time. Oh, by the way, did you see his new guitar that everybody here contributed for? Did you hear how that guitar sounds? It's awesome. I loved it. So in chapter 9, Matthew says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Matthew didn't ask any questions. He didn't say, wait a minute, let me take care of this money. He just got up from behind the table, and he followed Jesus. Let's give you some idea now. When Jesus at that moment called on Matthew, what the rest of the crowd thought about Matthew. So what's a tax collector back in the first century? Well, let's start off with the greed of an embezzling executive. Let's add the presumption of a televangelist with the poofy hair and the smile. How about the audacity of an ambulance chaser, a lawyer, 
and the cowardice of a drive-by sniper. He pimps morality, and just for the heck of it, we're going to throw in a drug dealer's code of ethics. That is the first century tax collector. Just the thing you want your daughter to be bringing home with her, right? Right, moms? No. I don't think so. I think in the view of the Jewish people that the tax collectors were like one level above plankton. So when Jesus called on Matthew, the crowd's like, how could you do that? Matthew was a public tax collector, which is different than a private tax collector back in those days. A private tax collector would send people out that he hired to go out and collect taxes. Do the evil work. Collect the money. If they don't collect the money, they throw them in jail. Like that. A public tax collector went out by himself. Matthew used to take his limo over to the east side of town, set up shop, and that's the way he did it. That's what happened back then. So here I'm going to veer away from the Bible, and I'm going to insert the part that says, this isn't quite correct, but it's my interpretation of what might have gone on between Matthew and Jesus. Because later that night, it also says that Matthew and Jesus were at a dinner party together. But something had to go on in between. And this is what I think went on. This is, this is what I would tell your kids. Matthew meets up with Jesus a little bit later and says, Lord, Jesus says, hey, what's up, Matthew? He says, well, he goes, well, that's my buddies. You know, they're at the bar. My buddies at the bar. My, my friends at the office. And Jesus says, well, what about them? And Matthew says, well, you know, they're a different sort you know, most of them are in and out of jail. Half of them are on parole. But my buddy, my bartender buddy, man, he bailed me out of jail three times. Now, some of these guys have a heart of gold. They just don't act it or look it half the time. Jesus says, okay, what's the problem? And Matthew finally comes out with it. He says, well, I don't have anything against Peter, James, and John. You know, they're, they're Sunday morning, and I'm more like Saturday night. Jesus starts laughing, and Matthew goes, why are you laughing at me? And Jesus says, Matthew, Matthew, when I called you away from your table to be my disciple and follow me, that doesn't mean that you had to leave your friends. And Matthew's like, I don't understand that. Jesus says, well, what do you like to do? Matthew says, well, I like to throw parties, big parties. Jesus says, okay, let's do that. Call all your buddies. Let's throw a dinner party at your house, a going-away party, a going-away to be Jesus' disciple. So Matthew gets all pumped up over this. He's inviting his friends. Now, you're, not, you're talking about bookies. You're talking about sleazy attorneys. You're talking about bouncers, bartenders. It's all going to be happening. Dinner and drinks at Matthew's house that night. Now, Matthew doesn't own some little shack in a little corner of the city. He owns a split level overlooking the Sea of Galilee. It's nice because this guy's got money. Now, out in front of that house that night are BMWs, Harleys, and limos. What a mix. Inside the house, there's guys with earrings on, women with tattoos. The music is so loud that your teeth are like, it's just thumping away. It's a great time. Matthew was running around the room. Matthew's running around the room, hooking up his friends with the disciples. Man, they're exchanging email addresses. 
They're, you know, they've got a lot of things in common. And he's introducing them. He's introducing them all to Jesus at the same time. And Jesus, what's he doing? He's sitting in the middle of the room, beaming. Why? Because there's sinners and there's saints in the same room. And neither of them care who they are. It's a great time. It was wonderful. But an hour into the party, an icy wind blows in. Pharisees walk in. Let me tell you about the Pharisees. They come in. They've got these big black books under their arm. Collars so tight that their necks are bulging out. Tight-lipped people, about as much personality as a Gestapo prison guard. This is not the kind of guy you want at your party. And there they were. And they complained to Jesus' followers. It says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, his being Jesus, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, instead of tax collectors and sinners, it would read scum. Why would they eat? Why would Jesus eat with scum? So Matthew feels the heat first because they turn over to Matthew and they point at Matthew and they go, you call yourself a holy man? Look at who you're eating with. Look at who you're partnering with. And Matthew doesn't know whether to run or to get mad. But Jesus stops. Jesus answers for him. He says, it's not the healthy. We need a doctor. But the sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not, called, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So you're thinking, well, wait a minute, David. You were just talking about the transfiguration that Jesus' friends were righteous. They were very holy men. Well, now you're saying that Jesus' friends are sinners. So who were Jesus' friends? Were they both? Are we Jesus' friends? Here's the point. I'll get to the point. You and I are Matthews. Don't look at me that way. You can't tell me that you haven't bent the truth a couple of times, that you haven't taken advantage of the weak, that you haven't taken credit where credit isn't yours. I've been there. We're both sitting on the other side of the table. Trust me. But Jesus gave Matthew an invitation with a promise. You leave the table and you follow me, but you don't have to leave your friends. Just the opposite. Do what Matthew was doing at the party. He introduced them to the shepherd, the shepherd of the sheep, Jesus himself. And that's what we did with my friend Rick, who's now out in Oman. He was a friend of mine from work on the rough side. All right, very rough side. Um... Every other word out of his mouth was something that you would not say in this church. But he was a friend. And the only thing I knew at that time, since I was barely saved, was just to introduce him to who I knew, the shepherd. It's a wonderful thing. This is what Jesus wants us to do. So how am I supposed to do that? My kids go, well, yeah, that's good, teacher David. But how am I supposed to talk to my friends or introduce my friends to the shepherd, to Jesus? I'm going to tell you how, and it's going to be through a, a story. There's a friend, a couple that my wife and I know. Oh, they're a little bit older. Well, actually, I'm old now, so they were probably younger than me at the time. 
They decided, they took it upon themselves to watch a young lady's kids for about four hours every once a week. They knew that she was struggling and that she, the, the father was long gone. She had no family. So once a week, they would come to her apartment, which was in their same apartment complex, and they would take her baby, hold the baby. She had a little baby, and she had a four-year-old boy. And they would play with the boy, hold the baby. While she went off, the young lady ran off and did marketing, shopping, whatever she needed to do or whatever she wanted to do for, for about four hours. Three months later, so that's looking at 12 weeks of four hours of their time that they gave up. The young lady shows up at their church with the kids, accepts Christ, wants her kids and her to be baptized. It's an amazing thing. Who were the friends? Okay, who were Jesus' friends there? The lady went home, and she talked to her friends. Now, her little circle of girls, they all were Christians too. And they, when she told them that she had gone to church and accepted Christ, they were very upset. Who does that remind you of? They said, are you kidding me, girl? Do you know what that church preaches? Do you know what that church has done? You know what that lady said? She said, I don't know. I'll tell you what I do know. They took care of my kids. So who's the friend? Today, Jesus is calling each one of you to be that friend. Jesus is calling this church to be bigger than it is. Jesus is calling us to lead a revival of friends. Be the friend. Capish? We are Jesus' friends. Let's extend that friendship to others. It doesn't matter what they look like. They could be riding Harleys, but there's people out there in need. A lot of them. Or you might be here today, first time. You might be in need. Talk to me. I'll be your friend. Let's send in prayer. I'm going to pray. I am going to pray over this congregation. And we're going to breathe the Holy Spirit into you. That you, from this day forward, that you become that friend. That you see those situations. That God touches your heart when you see somebody who needs a friend. I can't say I've never been in that position. And friends have come and helped me out. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for this time together. We thank you that the message is out there, Lord. We thank you that you're our friend. You'll always be our friend. You'll never leave us or forsake us. I invite the Holy Spirit down upon the people of Life Point Church. And we breathe. We breathe the strength and the power and the majesty of the Holy Spirit into the people that are here. Because church is not four walls, but church is people. The people inside, the friends inside, the families inside. Thank you and praise you, Lord. Send them out, Lord, as you did your disciples to praise you and to introduce other friends to you. And maybe it's just acts, and maybe it's just speech, and maybe it's prayer. You will touch them, Lord. I know that beyond the shadow of a doubt. Guard and protect them as they go out today, Lord. Bless them. Bless this church, Lord, that it may grow in the love of Christ. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.